8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. It's, uh, it's Monday evening. It's time for well, a whole week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, of uh, The Viewpoint. My name is Ashraf Garda. You can engage me on air. 0891104207. Save that number. It's really important you keep it always on your phone. 0891104207. SMS is 40938. Then, of course, you have a WhatsApp voice note option, which is 0614104107. If you use that, it's 30 seconds max, please. But honestly, if you ask me as a preference, I prefer you engaging me on air. That means call in. We can talk, we can agree, we can differ, but if you wish to go the voice note route, because you don't want to engage directly, that's absolutely fine. It's an option. On Twitter, it's SFM Viewpoint. Uh, when you tweet, uh, use that hashtag and then tag SFM Radio, tag Ashraf Garda as well. Lots to talk about. We will certainly talk about the uh, ANC manifesto and what that really means as per this very hectic weekend uh, in Durban. Uh, in particular for the for the ANC ahead of the 2019 election that comes up after nine, but our big hitter for tonight is Imtiaz Kanji. I must say, the big hitter for the second time in a, in a few months. You may know now, of course, he's the nephew of the late Ahmed Timol, the South African, the member of the SACP, so very much part of the struggle. Who, well, allegedly in the past was like he had dropped, he had committed suicide from the then John Foster Square. All that changed um, with, with with certain findings in the last few months, after years and years of um, uh, really pursuing the case by, in particular, MTS Kaji. You also know that there was a, a documentary all around that. So we're going to try and recap on that. But there's some further developments that we're going to talk about today. So uh, if you have an interest, as you should, about the life of Amatimol and other, let me specify, other South African struggle prisoners who then were, well, summarily just disappeared for a whole variety of reasons, okay? Uh, you may want to just call in or tell others to listen in as well on this issue. So, Imtiaz, good chatting to you and thanks for joining us. It's only my pleasure, Ashraf. Let, let's recap very quickly. When we last spoke, where were we at regarding the the findings uh, in terms of the studies around Ahmed Timo? Look, Ashraf, um, John Rodriguez's legal team has filed a permanent state of prosecution against their client. And they're basically basing the arguments on, on, on two matters. The one is that uh, the time delay, in other words, blaming the state and particularly the National Prosecution Authority for not dealing with this matter since 1996, mm-hmm. when Rodriguez was alive, he was around, he was healthy. And in fact, um, you know, he was interviewed by the TRC investigator, Pierce Pichot. Um His legal team also uses my correspondence that I sent to the NP in 2002, where again I pleaded with the NPA to reinvestigate, uh, you know, the killing of Uncle Ahmed. And Rodriguez's legal team is now saying that based on the fact that the state, and particularly the NPA, failed to investigate this matter more than two decades earlier, he's now been prejudiced. Okay. So in, in, in financial terms, it would be like something called prescribed. Where, you know, you didn't bother asking me for money for 20 years. You can't come and on the 21st year. That's the yes. type of case they're using. Yes. And he's saying that because he's the only person that's alive, you know, we're targeting him. Because the likes of, of Gloy and Fanikek and many others who were all alive, and when I requested the NPA in 2002 to deal with this matter, the NPA failed. And on this particular basis, he's asking for um, the charges against him to be dropped and, uh, you know, simply to be thrown away. Okay, does he have a point? You're not here to defend him, but that, does he not have a point? Look, it's understandable. And in the, in the latest um, affidavit that we had filed, uh, we clearly explain that uh, the state had failed. 
And, uh, you know, when you look at the affidavits provided by the former National Director of Public Prosecution Advocate Wusi Pikoli mm. and the senior prosecutor Anton Ackerman, they talk of political interference, Ashraf. So, yes, most certainly there was political interference blocking not just the Timor matter, the Agat, Similani, Hafiji, Biko, Kredok, for many, many other matters. But what we are saying as victims' families, why should we be held accountable for the failure on the part of the state to have dealt with these matters? And when you say political interference, let me get this right. What happens, and I was telling, we're talking to Ben uh, on the outside, my producer, that whatever the merits of who did what, Effectively, the country between apartheid and the rest, there was a state of war. People do crazy things in, in, in that sort of scenario, right? Are you saying that the, uh, uh, the, the efforts to sort of delay investigating these cases were, were done, they were blocked by what people from in a democratic South Africa? Most, by, by whom? Most certainly. I mean, we should not forget that the TRC had recommended that more than 300 cases be investigated. And this was, be, that was, this was after, after the TRC. Yes, TRC okay. 1996, Ashraf. Yeah, yeah. And the record speaks for itself. How many cases have the National Prosecution Authority investigated? The matter of uh, the death in detention of Dr. Neil Agat, the disappearance and murder of uh, Nokutula Similani. There are two other cases that were presented to the NPA prior to that of Ankar Ahmed. And yet those court cases are ongoing. But let's just take it even closer. Judge Bulemote ruled on the 12th of October 2017 that Rodriguez gets charged um, and the other security branch officers, Neville Else and Seth Sons, also be charged. It took the NPA nine months for Rodriguez to have his first, first court appearance. Else and Sons, more than a year later, the investigations are still not concluded. So we're talking in the last year after a historic ruling that the NPA itself, to date, are not politically committed to ensure that these cases get investigated. Okay, goodness, it's a big cause for concern. Uh, you as a listener, I'm sure you have a viewpoint on what was just said. 0891-104-207. So we're talking about effectively the death in, in, in prison, in custody of, of many South Africans in that period of apartheid South Africa when, when people opposed apartheid, they were imprisoned, many had died, amongst many of the names, of course, uh, MJS Kaji has thrown about, and you'll be familiar with many of them, of course, right? Uh, but in particular, of course, he's talking about his uncle, Ahmed but that's not all, of course. 891 Let's uh, pick up that discussion right after this. Hashtag Kava. My favorite drama is on. Huh? Kava. Yeah. Tembi just discovered that all the money has been stolen. Now, Sipo is a suspect. Gaga, did you just say hashtag Kava? Yeah, as in look, like hashtag Kava, how easy, convenient and fast it is to receive your TV license statement and pay electronically. That's great, Gaga, because you will never miss an episode of your favorite drama because you can do it all while sitting on your couch. Hashtag that. <laughs> pay your TV license the simple way. Go to tvlic.co.za. SABC TV licenses. Hashtag made possible by you. 8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Asraf Garda. So I want you to engage. You can share your viewpoints on the issues of uh, many South Africans dying in custody and, and whether the investigations even post. So in the democratic South Africa, then the TRC comes about post the TRC, recommendations made for a series of cases to be investigated. Many, according to MTS Kaji, has been blocked. In fact, he's quoting Vusi Pikoli. I'll get to calls. KGM, you're coming up in a minute. Let's just go back to the, to the Vusi Pikoli point. So are you saying he's, he's saying, I just want to get this clear. Are you saying he's saying that? And what, in fact, is he saying regarding 
investigations being being blocked. Look, this is clearly outlined in his affidavit, Ashraf, where he talks of political interference that resulted in him uh, being unable to investigate TRC cases. And this is clearly specified and outlined, and not just him, but also senior prosecutor Anton Ackerman, where they talk of political interference from political leadership simply blocking them from reinvestigating these cases. Did they specify who are these well, political well, it's there. Well, it's there. It's there in the it's there in the in the in the affidavits that have been submitted. The names of uh, Police Commissioner Jackie Salebe emerges. Of uh, Minister Bridget Mabandla appears in there, and uh, according to Vusi Picoli, this led to his eviction from his position. And subsequently, the Jinwala Commission was held, which cleared him. So these are serious, serious issues that don't just impact on, the, on, 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 on Uncle Ahmed's matter, but has a serious bearing on all other cases. So let's get this right, because we're going to move on then. He's saying, but it's in an affidavit, so we're not even just talking about something we saw on Twitter. Let's just get that right, uh, that there, were, there, were, there was interference. People were, the investigations were being blocked. He then was effectively sidelined. He was cleared, but, but names were given, right? Uh, what would be, let me, let me ask the obviously stupid question. Why would anybody want to block an investigation into, prima- in, in the main, uh, anti-apartheid heroes who paid for their lives for opposing the system of apartheid? This is the burning question, Ashraf. And this is a question that ordinary South Africans need to ask because for the very first time, the victims of, of, of uh, apartheid brutality will finally know that what was the reason for their cases not to be investigated. And it's very evident in the affidavits of Anton Ackerman and Advocate Vusi Piccoli that at a higher political level, there was interference that led to these cases being blocked. And the evidence speaks for itself that why more than two decades later in a democratic South Africa, the Ahmed Timor matter is the only matter that has progressed. The killing of Nokutula Simale and Dr. Neil Eckert are dragging in the courts of law. Can, can, I, can I say that that's, that's only happened because of one person... Amatimol's nephew, whose who's dogged determination to get things done, meaning time, resources, giving up everything. So it took you all of that effort to get to where you were. And no, not many others have that time, clearly, isn't it? No, most certainly. And then you must, you know, I'm eternally grateful to the likes of the Foundation for Human Rights, the Legal Resources Center, Weber Wenzel, um, human rights activists, lawyers like uh, Howard Vani and Ty Scott, totally depend on them for their services. And we should not, not forget, Ashraf, we as victims' families like the Similanis, the Hefijis and Agats and the Timols depend on pro bono legal services. Of course. Hmm. And the likes of Rodriguez has got three legal representatives and their costs are covered by the state. He's got one senior counsel and two advocates. The one an instructing attorney that previously worked in the state attorney's office and their costs are covered by the state. So the longer this matter prolongs in the courts of law, Rodriguez has got no excuse. Okay. The ordinary South African in the street cannot afford legal services. Well, you are to, to quote that well-known phrase, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark, something along that line. Let's get calls. KGM, you're on the air. Hello. Good evening, Ashraf. Good evening to your guest Good and e- to the listeners. Good talking to you as Good always. Uh, Ashraf, let me pick up from where your guest left off. Mm-hmm. You, you see, we can beat around the bush as much as we like. If we're not going to be bold as a nation, as a society, as a people and face this demon, which is the system. And, and the system that has unfortunately engulfed and, and captured so, the so-called leaders within or amongst us. We, we're just going to be hitting the, the, the water and it won't, that there's no way that we're going to win. Look, 
the, the points that he's raising, the issue of the delays. Ashraf, if you're a judge, and I challenge uh, the Chief Justice Mohoeng Mohoeng and everybody, or all of his colleagues, if you're a judge or you're a bench of judge of judges and, and you, you're ruling, you, you, you give an order, you are not oblivious to the fact that that order doesn't get implemented or it doesn't get carried away. Why are our judges so ignorant, conveniently so, of the judgment that they've given and they don't ensure that those judgments get carried away? It's not like they judge, they, 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 they give judgment or put down the judgment and they never hear anything or they are precluded from, from that. The second and the last point. You see, we bought into a system that we claimed to know mm-hmm. and, and, and this is why it is at our disadvantage. This system was never meant for us. It was made for us. Now, your, your, your guest alluded to a very important fact, which is the economical one. If it wasn't because of the pro bono services mm. by the volunteer, volunteering uh, legal minds, do you think you'd be listening, we'd be talking about the Ahmed Timo uh, matter at the moment? No. Absolutely now, the not. The so-called right. justice in South Africa is the most expensive commodity for an ordinary citizen, and that being the case, this myth that we are free is far-fetched and it's not true. Ashraf, thanks for taking my call. Okay, got that, KGM. Thank you. Lots of points made by KGM. You want to pick up on that, uh, Imtiaz? Most certainly, Ashraf. I mean, uh, you know, without the pro bono services and the support of Yasmin Sukha and the Foundation for Human Rights, we'd be completely standard. Now, the, the question that one has got to ask, why must victims of families beg for their matters to be reinvestigated. On whose responsibility is the onus? Surely it can't be on us. Their fellow comrades that are in the the corridors of power, surely they cannot simply forget their past. We cannot continue just commemorating anniversaries and giving awards, which we always acknowledge, without getting to... The two justices that we deserve. So who, who should, I mean, like, like right now, and you, you're absolutely right. Why would you need to beg? And I'll repeat that point earlier. The point that KGM brought up about pro bono is very important. But it mustn't, also what must not be underestimated is, is let's take your case where you lit, how many years have you put in of this, of this issue? How much time? Well, I mean, I started this process with the NP since 2002. Okay. Now, now who can put in 18 years or 16 years of their life? So, your case is unique, meaning if you didn't do, which was not expected of you, none of this would have happened, right? So the point you've been driving at is what about all the others who clearly the people don't have the time and they don't have the resources, so it will never come to the fore. So right now, when you're telling me this, who else are you talking to? I mean, who, who in power needs to get your ear and, and or, or lend you their ear, and, and are they getting that? Look, the findings of the TRC were very clear. Mm-hmm that uh, obviously all matters could not be investigated or concluded at the DRC, and they needed to be investigated by the National Prosecution Authority, and more specifically, the Priority Crimes Litigation Unit. And the records speak for itself. So what have they done? Um, Rodriguez's legal team is arguing of using the, the question of, of, uh, of time delay. The first respondent in the matter, which is the National Director of Public Prosecutions, Ashraf, fails to explain why they failed to investigate these matters in the last uh, two decades. They failed. And the question then must be asked, who are the people within the National Prosecution Authority that have been tasked and mandated to investigate these cases? The issue of institutional reform, 
we sit with a reality where we find prosecutors and investigating officers with the greatest of respect asked to investigate cases where their own colleagues were responsible for murdering our anti-apartheid activists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you are asking them, who were part of this racist apartheid regime, part of the heinous crimes that were committed against our people, to investigate their own actions. How, how did we get it so wrong? Well, this is precisely the point. And, and this is precisely why it is absolutely imperative that the newly appointed uh, National Director of Public Prosecutions makes the TRC cases a priority. It makes it a priority. Do you, do you think, in, in this case, we're talking about Shamila Batoy, right? Yes. Do you think, it's difficult to say whether she's got the political will. W- would she have that drive if, if so many others have not been able to do so? Well, you can be rest assured that we will not, we will, we, we will not give up a stuff. The Timor Mate is only one. There are families throughout the length and breadth of this country. Um, the son of Nicodemus Khawati. Mm. They are in the 60s, 70s. The mother of Nokotula Simelani, who still today wants answers, and yet former security branch officers are charged due to court delays, the matter is still hanging. We will continue exerting pressure on the National Prosecution Authority, on the Minister of Justice. Judge Billy Mortlick made a clear ruling on the 12th of October 2017. Let's talk about the issues that are fresh Mm. in our memory. And a year later, they have still not concluded investigations on Neville Else and Seth's sons who in the early 80s. What other inference can one draw other than the fact that it has been stalled by the National Prosecution Authority and by the investigating arm of the Hawks? But you see, obviously, the, the other part, if it has been stalled, one may say, what would, that, or, or what would the motive be? Who stands to benefit? It's, a, it's very simple, Ashraf. Those responsible for committing apartheid error crimes will get off scot-free. Speak to the family of Ashley Creel. They were visited by the Hawks way back in 2014. Made promises, and then they disappeared, and they never come back to those particular families. No, but my point is, obviously, those that uh, that had committed the crimes would be would be thrilled if there's any delays or, or the cases get thrown aside. But what I'm saying, from within the democratic processes, who would stand to benefit from that there? Well, it's why? A, well, this is the burning question. And when one reads Vusi Piccoli's and Anton Ackerman's affidavits, was there a deal made in the background that these particular matters would not, be, would not be pursued and they would not be investigated further? That is the only inference I can make reading the affidavits of Ackerman and, and Vusi Piccoli. And my own uh, engagements with the National Prosecution Authority, purely based in the last year, clearly demonstrate that there's absolutely no political will and there's no pressure mounted on them. And hence, it's imperative that the Rodriguez matter gets fast-tracked we go back to court on the 28th of January this year. His legal team will be responding to my affidavit tomorrow, which is the 15th of January. So l- let's get clarity on that. Sure. So when we last spoke, I mean, the, so for a long period, and, and we'll move on to others as well, for a long period uh, with regard to your uncle and Matimo, right. the, the finding as we knew it was, right. the man jumped. Right. So committed suicide. Right. What then changed? Right. So Judge Balimote ruled that the 1972 inquest finding was incorrect. And he ruled that Uncle Ahmed did not commit suicide, but he was murdered in police detention. And let the three security officers be charged. Nine months later, Rodriguez has his first court appearance, which is on the 30th of July. Number of months later, his legal team then argues for a permanent stay of prosecution against their client. And this is primarily based on the lengthy delays and on his age. We then, as a Timor uh, family, uh, sought an um, application as an intervening party 
to ensure that when these court proceedings finally commence, our voice can be heard. So that was granted. So tomorrow, which is the 15th of January, Rodriguez's legal team will be responding to our latest um, um, uh, affidavit that was filed. On the 25th of January, the various legal represent- uh, representatives will uh, be filing the heads of arguments. Okay. 28th of January, Judge Monama at the South Houting Court will then give some guidance and direction. So we want this matter to be dealt with as quickly as possible. Rodriguez's legal team is saying we want a permanent stay of prosecution. And in most likelihood, if Judge Monama does not grant it, it means that they will then appeal it to the, uh, drag to, to the Supreme level, Court yeah. and then obviously to the Constitutional Court because they've got no consideration about legal cost. Because the state's paying for the it. The state's paying for it. Because, I mean, even, even their families can't afford it. In their can't own afford way. it. And your side, would you be willing to counter that all the way? Most certainly. And with the support that we have from the likes of uh, the Foundation for Human Rights Legal Resources sent to Weber Wenzel, we will fight it. Because if we are unsuccessful, it means all other cases, Similani, Agat, Hefiji, the Bikos, the Kredok 4, will all simply disappear because this will be the line of argument based on this ruling. That it's been too long. It's been too long. And uh, if Rodriguez gets away scot-free because of the time delay, it means all TRC cases will simply disappear. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, you listening in, what do you make of all of this? Do you, do you get a sense of like uh, people like Imtiaz Kanji are, are, are holding on to grudges for far too long? Or does he have an absolute point? I mean, he is in the people he represents, which is not just his family, but a whole lot of other people uh, from across the country. Oh, wait, nine. One one zero four two zero seven. Joining the conversation, SMS is, as always welcome four zero nine three eight. And if you are tweeting, uh, well, hashtag SFM viewpoint. Tag me Ashraf Ganda and SFM Radio. The, the other other option, of course, is the WhatsApp voice note oh six one four one zero four one zero seven oh six one four one zero four one zero seven. My guest is Imtiaz Kanji. our big hitter for the night. He's the nephew of the late Ahmed Timur. So l- let's just clear up. Then, in the meantime, in the midst of all of this, an award was handed out. To who, effectively, to to the late Ahmed Timol? In yes, or, the, or yes, the National Australia? Executive Committee of the African National Congress awarded the highest order, which is the Isitawan Lay Award uh, to Uncle Ahmed on Saturday, and it was befitting that Uncle Ahmed's younger brother, Uncle Mohammed, who has also made his own contribution to the liberation of this country, received the award um, at the ANC Manifesto Rally on on Saturday, and and this is an award that has been issued to giants of the struggle the likes of Teva Huddleston, uh, Dr. Yusuf Dadu, Joe Slovo, and many others. So it is truly befitting that uh, Uncle Ahmed's contribution um, is acknowledged by the African National so Congress. So le- let's get clarity. The award was given because of his contribution. Most certainly. All right. Can I, can I say this, that if people like yourself and all the others that didn't drag this issue on for the last 20 years, that award would not have happened. It look, probably would have look, been forgotten because look, when you say Neil Agat, somebody's probably saying, who's Neil Agat? You get my look, point. There's been many like that. Look, we can't run away from the fact, Ashraf, that if these initiatives were not taken, um, the name of the likes of Ahmad Timor, Babla, Saluji, Kredok for would be forgotten. Uh, a publication would be issued, uh, a school would be renamed, and uh, you know these struggle icons will simply be forgotten. So it is th- due to public, uh, public pressure, uh, public support, social media support, and at the end of the day, end of the day journalists like yourself, who keep the names of Ahmed Timol, uh, Nokotula Similani, Neil Agat, and all the others in the public domain, that uh, you know that 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 the new generation in South Africa can never forget. 
And it is on this basis, you know, we've embarked on digitizing the Amity Mall exhibition. I remember when you were here last, you were saying that. What, what has happened with that? Yes, look, the MEC of Basic Education, Panyazi Lesufi, is very supportive. And we're looking at plans of rolling out the exhibition uh, during the course of this year. Okay. In the, in the meantime, uh, Rodriguez, I mean, outside of court papers, any, any, any relationship, any discussions with, with, with his side and his family side? Look, not really. You know, we should not forget, Ashraf, that the only reason Rodriguez was found was because his daughter made contact with me. And again, the question must be asked, why did the National Prosecution Authority, with all the resources at its disposal, fail to establish and ascertain that Rodriguez was living? So Rodriguez's daughter made contact with us, and I on that basis, that. Rodriguez got subpoenaed. Then she's made public revelations about how she was molested by her own father, the same security branch officer who is today claiming to be a victim. His own daughter has gone public about the accusation of molestation uh, uh, enforced on her. So absolutely shocking. But, you know, at the end of the day, Ashraf, we've been very consistent, and we've been public about this that we want Rodriguez to make a full confession. So when you talk about grudges, it's got nothing to do about grudges. We understand the political context mm, mm, of our mm. troubled past. We had an opportunity at the TRC for victims and perpetrators to come forward. And the reality is that we cannot blame the likes of Eugene de Kock and Dirk Kutsia for all the apartheid era crimes. We've reached out to Rodriguez, that even at this late stage, come clean. You are 79 years mm, old, make mm. a full disclosure. Your version of events, in our view, is laughable. That Uncle Ahmed was not injured. Where we have overwhelming evidence but from forensic, from trajectory specialists, from witnesses who were detained in the same building, in the same floor, adjacent to Uncle Ahmed, that your version cannot be plausible. He cannot explain how he got access to room 1026, as he claims to be a salary clerk from Pretoria. He cannot explain why Uncle Ahmed's body was moved after falling 10 floors why there was no medical services called. So there's overwhelming evidence, and we should never forget Ashraf. Akal Ahmad was the 22nd person to have died in police detention. Yeah. Lux Martin Dooley was the first in 1963, and there were many, many others to follow. So we've continuously reached out to him to say, come forward, make full disclosures, and we can set a new president in this country that we don't clog the courts of forcing apartheid era perpetrators like himself to be taken to court Go through these lengthy processes, but if he's prepared to come forward, make full disclosure, we can have genuine reconciliation, which was what was the objective of the TRC. And, and, and you're, 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 what, what would genuine reconciliation then for, be for you? He's, if he makes full disclosures of what transpired, of truly what transpired, without holding back any information, because Uncle Ahmed's murder was covered. It was covered up mm. to the highest levels. And there's no doubt in my mind that he was a pawn. He was a pawn. He, and he continuously places himself on a crime scene. In 1972 inquest, the 2017 inquest, in the papers that his lawyers have filed this year, he places himself on a crime scene. And what is he saying? He's saying that he was in the room with Uncle Ahmed, this dangerous communist. He's left to guard and they leave him, they leave him alone. Now, obviously, that cannot be plausible. Yeah. So we reach out to him, continuously reach out to him. Okay. Tell you what, if you're listening and you have a counter view to all of this, I mean, you, you may want to dispute or disregard all the things that uh, Imjus Kaji has said. Well, it's up to you to say so, especially the issue of cover-ups, which I think is very, very important, or, uh, you know, lines of prosecution being dropped. What does that really mean? What is your understanding of all of that? 0891 In fact, I'll pick out some of the SMSs uh, as well. One or, one or two, there's... 
remember some let me get this right um remember some current political leadership could have been spies handled by apartheid intelligence Hence, the cover-ups comes from Cancho, okay? Uh, there's a couple more, okay, but that's not related. This is related to the issues of the DRC. I won't quite read it now. Maybe some other time when we got some time. Alex, I'll certainly try and see what we can do. More to come from, from Imtiaz Kaji uh, in terms of some other key things to look out for, not just with Ahmed Timo, but the rest right after this. With the new SABC Education Matrix Mate app, getting your matric results has never been this easy. Simply download the Matrix Mate app for free at Google Play and Apple App Stores. All you need is your ID number and exam number to receive your results. Remember, you can also send an SMS to 35658 and your results will be sent to your phone or simply dial star 120 star. 35658 hash. You will be charged 150 per SMS and 150 per minute for the USSD line. For further details, visit sabceducation.co.za. It's about to get hotter this summer. Where heat meets heat. And the sizzle is on and off the braai. Get ready for cricket mania as the Proteas take on Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Three teams, 21 matches. It's a summer of cricket. All matches live on SABC3 and Radio 2000. Get ready to experience heated action as we bring you a summer of cricket. SABC Sport for the love of the game. Call Ashraf now. 0891 104 207. There's a couple of SMSs. In fact, Sabello saying, please help me understand the reason why Rodriguez has state-funded legal assistance. I'm not opposing it. I just want to understand it. I'll tell you what. We're going to ask him to ask that, but I'll tell you also, um, people from within, you know, the NPA and the judiciary who may want to who may want to comment on that, if you, you know much or you know others who know much, tell us about just understanding that why would someone like that get state funding, um, state assistance, that is, whereas others, so he would be the alleged perpetrator of the crime, others on the other side would have to get their own support somewhere along the line. Uh, and if you don't get pro bono from somewhere, then you're in trouble. Um, here's another question from Bradley. Ashraf, what about all the ANC comrades currently in national and provincial government who killed innocent white people with their bombs? They are walking free with big government salaries from Bradley. So is there, is there a link between that too? Look, we need to understand the context, Ashraf. Um, and this, you know, we conveniently tend to forget. What was the reason for the ANC embarking on, uh, on the armed struggle? It was based on the circumstances within the country. Mm-hmm. And let me ref- uh, remind Bradley, in the case of Uncle Ahmed, Uncle Ahmed was distributing political literature. He was killed for distributing political literature. When he talks about the killing of white people, what was the circumstances and context of that? So it has to be balanced. And this is something that we tend conveniently to forget. So what was the reason for us fighting against this racist apartheid regime? And my view is that it is only when you are part of the oppressed will you truly understand. And one of the difficulties that I have today is that in a democratic South Africa, without harping about our past, the youth of today have got no understanding and context of what life was during apartheid era. You and I would never be sitting today. Mm-hmm. The sporting opportunities that we see playing out today Never happened. Well, we wouldn't be sitting in this station. We absolutely. wouldn't be sitting in the station. Not, not, not allowed to. Absolutely. No sporting opportunities. No education. The matriculants that have just passed, 
Today, the entire world, with all the challenges that we have in the country, the doors are open to them. What did the majority of people have? What opportunities did they have in the educational field during the apartheid era? The Group Areas Act, moving of families, and we can go on and on. So these are not fallacies. This is a reality. Yeah. I think the point, Bradley, and, and it's another discussion for another time, but at what stage did those who opposed apartheid uh, take up the armed struggle after how long of continued uh, opposition and asking for equal rights did they say, we're not being heard to, we don't have a voice in parliament, what do we do next? So I think in terms of uh, anywhere in the world, that would be considered accepted form of now trying to oppose an injustice. But another discussion perhaps. Scully uh, on the line from Durban, good chatting to you. Hello. Uh, good evening to you, Ashraf. Good Thank evening. you for taking my call. It's a pleasure. Go ahead. Okay. Ashraf, I just got a chance now. Every time MTS came on the, on the radio, I never had the chance. I was right there in Joburg when it happened. I, I was young then, in my very early 20s. All right, so where, where mean, were you when it happened? Ex- explain, this is important, yeah? Um, I was in Joburg, sir. But you're uh, not at John Foster Square, were you? Okay. No, 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 no. no we nothing. just thought we got a new I'm witness. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. I know I didn't witness anything, uh, you know, just heard on the papers and the news okay. radio that this thing happened. And just that my, my heart and um, my, my uh, cond- thing to MTS uh, to follow this thing up, sir. This thing is all, all, all the time in my, you know, brain like. Uh, it's one of the things that wasn't brought. Uh, okay, I, I thank MTS uh, for bringing it up now. Okay, good. Uh, well, well, thanks for that call, Scully from Durban, who was in Johannesburg around that, that time. Let's go back to that, that previous uh, uh, tweet, Tim Charles, where the person said, like, help me understand this. Why, why would the Rodriguez crowd and whoever else, why would they get legal funding? Look, my limited understanding, Ashraf, because these are legal matters, is that in the case of Nokutula Similani, um, the apartheid era operatives that were charged, they had uh, stated that they did not have any legal uh, representations. And they could not cover the legal cost. And on that basis, the Minister of Police um, refused to cover the legal cost. Um, and I think that is the context and background of this. And that is why when Rodriguez was charged, Judge Balimorti made the ruling, um, you know, ensure that he gets legal representation. Because if legal representation was not given to them, then they would have simply come forward and said, look, we've got no legal representation. So, I mean, so is, is that one of that the anomalies limited, of life? You know, that is my understanding. Is my not, limited understanding. Okay, but of I mean, how this, would, of how, of how the, a legal person certainly within legal person, the judiciary yes. can can certainly confirm that. Because, or, or whether you think it may be legally correct, it's the right approach. But morally, how how do you feel about the fact that? Uh, perpetrators of crimes in this case may be alleged but he certainly was part of the police service so that we can say that because all of us who looked at uh, John Foster Square I mean we would even as a kid you'd walk past and you would you would use three three letter words and four letter words in describing that building I mean it was a standard thing because effectively there was a war that was uh, that was taking place right but why would what, what, what for you the morality around them receiving legal funding. Do you agree with that? Outside the issue of the legal reasons why that may occur. Let, let's get on to other things then. So, okay, so that's the issue with Rodriguez. It's a busy few weeks in terms of what may happen. As you said, implications would be dramatic once once you get the actual ruling by the end of the month, yeah. right? Look, the understanding is that on the 28th of January, Judge Monama will give some direction. Um, he would have read the different heads of arguments presented by the different legal teams and what we're eagerly awaiting is for those actual uh, court proceedings to commence where, uh, you know, his, his uh, request for a permanent state of prosecution can be, can be argued and a ruling can be made. 
And the quicker that ruling gets made, we're hoping that the actual court case can commence. So the merits of the case that we are presenting can be then tested in a courts of law. And so can Rodriguez's okay. uh, version of events. Let, let's then talk about the, the others. I mean, you mentioned how, how many people have died in police custody in apartheid South Africa? Look, I mean, from, from various research that has been done, it's about 72 or 73 uh, individuals. This will be talking about specifically in, uh, in police detention during the apartheid okay. era. Now, I, I, you, when we last spoke, you made the point that in the light of, of your success, in inverted commas, suddenly all these other families who, who were just resign themselves to you know an injustice and something they'll simply tell their children and do nothing else about it they they'd all started contacting you right so in in many ways the amatimol uh, uh issues and what's happened to him is now effectively a symbol not just of him but of all these other people who, who've died right so wh- wh- what's happened I mean, wh- what are their stories like can you can you share and what what do they feel i mean i'm not saying all but you know maybe four or five of them that you can share look look it's 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 uh, it's, it's it's truly traumatic stuff um, this particular year 2019 marks the 50th anniversary of the killing of imam harun um, Nicodemus, from, from the cape from cape town from yeah. cape town yes uh, the killing of nicodemus khawati jacob monohola uh, monohotla and soli modipani so all and of them 50, 50 years 50 okay. years this year and you know the story is very very clear it, i mean there's a clear pattern um, the activist gets taken into police detention, healthy, free of any injuries. And then uh, body gets returned to a family where either he slipped on a bar of soap or he fell down a flight of stairs or he jumped to his death. Uh, listen to the story of uh, Suleiman Babla Saluji. Never even had time to spend with his newly married wife, Auntie Ruki. Okay. Wow. And uh, you, know the, you know the dates... I uh, consoled myself that Uncle Ahmad was held in police detention for about four days and 17 hours. The likes of Imam Harun, more than 100. 100 days? More than 100 okay. days. Now, can you imagine the trauma of what Imam Harun himself went through and his family, not knowing the circumstances of, uh, of their loved one? Mm-hmm. And this is a clear pattern. But the Cradock Four? Well, Cradock Four, obviously, um, our Nobel laureate prize winner, F.W. Kirk, is implicated. Uh, the State Security Council minutes clearly reflect that he was part of that meeting. Speak to uh, Lucanio Calata. It's very evident um, that, uh, you know, that he had, a, he had some hand uh, in, the, in the pre-planning of what transpired in the, in, in, in the brutal killing of the Craddock Four. So, th- apart from people who died in police detention... And of course, the, of course, the Vico would be a more obvious one again. More obvious yeah. one. Mm. I mean, the likes of the killing of Ashley Creel in Cape Town. Clearly planned, organized, uh, organized murder where he was taken out. At the end of January, we, we, we commemorate the anniversary of the, the killings of comrades at the Matola Raid in Mozambique. Um, the killing of Joe Kabi, the killing of Dalsis September, the killing of Olaf Palmer, the Prime Minister of Sweden. Yeah. Now, surely, are we expected simply to move on like de Klerk wants us to do, forget the passengers, move on? We don't hold grudges. We want justice. We want the truth to prevail. And more importantly, Ashraf, I feel very, very strongly that by us revisiting these cases, it gives us a form of conscientizing that we desperately need in a democratic South Africa. Because if we are reminded of the tremendous sacrifices that these brave men and women had endured, we would be doing the right things today when we govern this country. The right things we will not be doing and looting from the state. We will not be abusing our powers. We will not be busy with tenders. We will will be ensuring that what these young men and women had strived for 
and had given their lives for like Solomon Maslangu, we would be building this democratic society. But this is what they wanted. So it's not about grudges. It's about political conscientizing. It's about justice. It's about the truth must mm. prevail. And history across the world has demonstrated that there's absolutely no reason why we, as victims' families, should feel guilty about rebringing these cases in absolutely. the public domain. Absolutely, yeah. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. Chatting to uh, Imtiaz Khaji, who was the who was the nephew of the late Ahmad Timo, one of many South Africans uh, in the apartheid era. In fact, died, killed. Uh, in in by and large, many of them are in while in police custody. So so these families, some of them. I mean, are you able are you able to tell us the type of conversations that they now have with you? And because I'm trying to understand their mindset, very difficult, Ashraf. Very diff- and there are different generation gaps in those families. I mean, the elders, like in the Lutuli family, mm-hmm. um, and the younger generation, have got different understandings of how these things must proceed. The same with Nicodemus Khawati, his son Ben Khawati. He used to tell me that he would go to bed crying every night for more than three or four decades, holding on to those newspaper cuttings. And when he looks at the Timor matter, gives him a sense of hope. Matthew Mabelani who lost his father in the early 90s last year, also killed at John Foster Square Police Station. Similar circumstances. So these families that have, like many of the elders within our communities, within our families, have accepted the fact that nothing will happen. We must just accept it. It's a fate of God. Uh, mm. Don't reopen these painful uh, Wounds that have uh, that we've we've buried and protected for for different generations, and and I truly understand and appreciate that, but that is their way of dealing with the killing of our loved ones. Mm. I mean, I, I just bear this. My my, you may be aware that my uncle Yusuf Garda was uh, a colleague of your uncle. They were yes. both teachers at the same yeah. time, and and he was imprisoned yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So while while Ahmed Timol yeah. was thrown from the top, my uncle was in one of the cells at the same John Foster Square. He was never a political activist. He was, he was a friend, of course, right? But the point is, for, for many years, he refused to talk about it. Now in his book, he's mentioned not even, and his book is about literature and cricket and his life. I think he's dedicated maybe one or two pages to it, and that's it. I mean, that tells you how people want to shut things off, isn't it? They just don't want to even go back there. Most certainly, and, and, and it is understandable. It took me a very long time to understand this concept of post-traumatic stress. And this is how our elders in our families and communities have dealt with it. That that's the only way they could deal with it, is bury it, park it on the side and move on. And obviously people like myself and the younger generation don't agree with that. These are choices that we've made that we are going to pursue. And, you know, we should never forget. Yes, the focus is on Uncle Ahmed. There were people that Uncle Ahmed had mentioned in his correspondence, the likes of Mrs. Amina Desai, Dilsha Jatam, uh, Salim Isup and many others, uh, Khadija Chotia, their lives were completely traumatized because of Uncle Ahmed. Uncle Ahmed was murdered. Yes, he moved on to another life. They had to continue and not even directly involve in building underground structures. This is a trauma. These are true events that had unfolded. And it's a yeah. pity that in democratic South Africa, we don't, we don't recognize and acknowledge very this. Important, but a very important discussion we're having. Uh, an SMS, what a sad reminisce. Motivational, the same. Thanks, Ashraf. Regards, Dr. Phil Mahuma from Midstream. Always good uh, listening to you, to your messages, Dr. Phil. You should call in sometimes, you know that. Uh, another one, agreement was concluded between the ANC and National Parliament not to pursue such cases. Uh, I think it comes from uh, Wutu Zeli, if uh, KK, right, from Soshanguve. Uh, let's get calls. Uh, Temba in a moment. Charlene from Joburg. Hi, Charlene. Hi. 
I have to have. I just want to commend the young man for all the hard work that he's done in making sure that his uncle's killers get held accountable. I think one needs to recognize that for some families, this has been like torture for 50 years. Mothers having to go to bed every night wondering whether their loved one is alive, had something to eat. Some families don't even have bodies. Up until today, some families don't know where their loved ones are. And I think something needs to be done to bring all of that, how ugly, however ugly or bad it is, it needs to be brought to the forefront so that the healing can start. Otherwise, it's just going to continue being a festering sore and the young people is going to carry that sore with them into the future. Yeah, just, 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 and, and do you have any family at all, Charlene, who may have been involved in, in any way as victims? Historically? Uh, no, Not no. at all. Okay, yeah. Just just hold on. I just want to get him just to respond to you because it's interesting how you see what, what he's done and how he sees what, what you say. Imjad, just comment to Charlene. Not truly humbled, uh, Charlene, because, uh, you know, we take it for granted. Um, you know, I console myself, Charlene, that my uncle's body was returned after, after his uh, period in, in police detention. I mean, the family of Nokotula Similani, and the mum is elderly, Till today are looking for remains. So we always need to look at the circumstances of others, and this is precisely what you are doing. And we can't run away from this because this was the reality. And the Ahmed Timol matter, like I continuously remind uh, listeners and viewers, is only one story that through assistance and perseverance is in the public domain. There are hundreds and thousands of other stories throughout the length and breadth of this country where those young men and women who had sacrificed their lives will never be acknowledged. There will be no accolades. So the mere fact that you are seeing the effort and the, and the, and, and the initiatives that, uh, you know, that we're embarking on is definitely a positive sign. Yeah, good, good point indeed. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for that call, Charlene. You, may want to, you want to comment again on the back of that? No, Charlene's gone. No, it's fine. All right. Uh, Mike from Newland saying, what an interesting yet depressing debate. Great guest. He is the best. Interesting thoughts and many suggesting the same thing. Depressing but inspiring all at the, the same time. Temba from Northwest, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. Good evening, Ashraf, and good evening to your guests and good evening to the listeners. Thank you. Thanks good for evening. calling in. Right, go ahead. Uh, Ashraf, uh, your guest is telling the truth. But I want to ask you, maybe can answer me. Who is responsible now for bringing all the cases of that party people who were killed to, to book? Who is in charge of the uh, justice, justice being done? Because there was a TRC. People who are about 300 of them did not come and account at the TRC. So they have been left to rule uh, the seas of South Africa. So who's actually in charge of being this people into book? Okay, just tear the line because there could be a follow-up question, right, uh, Temba? Just hold on. Respond to that. Temba is very clear that the mandate has been given to the National Prosecution Authority and specifically the Priority Crimes Litigation Unit that was established to investigate TRC cases. But the challenges that we are having, Temba, is that we cannot have individuals who are part of the apartheid regime who are currently deployed in these particular positions to investigate these cases. It doesn't make sense. If you are part of a regime oppressing, killing, uh, murdering our activists, and then you are asked to investigate the same cases, surely it can't be. And that is why we're putting pressure on the NPA and specifically the Priority Crimes Litigation Unit to investigate yeah. these cases. And yeah. there has to be institutional reform where there are committed members 
of society, committed uh, bureaucrats that are deployed in these areas, that have the political conviction and the political will, and feel the pain that many, many families are suffering and ensure that these particular mandates are executed. Okay, got that. You, you, Temba, thanks for calling in, right? Unless you want to say thank something you, else, thank yeah? You. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. That's uh, Temba. There's a, there's a couple of more Tembas we'll get to. Archie is from the Free State. Hi, Archie. Compliments. Good evening. Good evening indeed. Right, go ahead. Call. Yeah. Archie, hello. Okay, we'll try and sort out Archie again. I want to hear what you have to say, Archie, so please do call back. I, I will take your call right away. Where, okay, Archie, hello? hello, yes? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Go ahead. This is almost the second time I hear the story on the, on your program. But now, today, it's more in... I mean, every time it's I mean, it's being I mean, told, I mean, we learn a lot. Like, for example, I come from a place called Aliwal North, mm-hmm. where we're told that Joe Tabi came from there. But then now, the more people from that area, their information around Joe Tabi is very limited. Though they're I mean, tried to do something to, I mean, to, 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 to reinform us about who Joe Tabi was. In about two sentences, can you go further as to who he was and how did he... I mean, uh, he, he contributing the struggle. Okay. I thank you. I listen for the All right. Thanks for that call, uh, Archie. Right. Uh, for, well, w- yeah. well, my limited understanding is that Joe Kabi was assassinated in uh, in Zimbabwe. Okay. Um, and 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 like many many other cases, I mean, nobody was held accountable and responsible for his killing. But from the research I've done, Ashraf, another very very committed cadre. And you must remember, the apartheid regime would kill cadres who were committed. There had to be yeah. a specific reason for them to assassinate people like Joe Kabi because they were an imminent threat to the racist apartheid regime. Yeah. Wow. And this is why it's imperative that not just the likes of Ahmed Timor, but many, many others, not just in the form of accolades, but in the form of our educational curriculum, in the form of short stories, in the forms of, of different, different communities, that these stories of our legends be captured and be put in the public domain. Well, I think that's a, that's a very good point. Let's get a, uh, there's another Tema on the line. Tema from Joburg this time. Hello. How are you, sir? Thank you for calling in. Yeah. Yes, I couldn't resist but to phone. My 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 five cents worth of input is that part of the problem is that the ANC wants to posture itself as the only party that uh, that that fought apartheid. So as a result, even wrongdoing against other people who are not ANC, it somewhat um, you know creates an impression that they are indeed the only ones. So there are people, for instance, uh, the, the PAC, PAC supporters, PAC activists, for mm. instance, that, you know, this lie is so important, this lie that the ANC is the only party that fought apartheid. This lie is so important that activists that are coming from other parties, we don't, we don't get into them. And the minute you have something like that, you will never, never, never get to prosecute everyone who was in the wrong at the time of apartheid. That is one of the biggest problems that we well, have. Well, well I, I think we concur. It's something we've discussed so often. Like, what has happened to, you know, you, you go to Robben Island and, and, and we, you, you think it's only ANC supporters and you know that the reality that is very far from the truth. It's a big issue indeed, Temba. Thanks for that call, right? Uh, comment on that very quickly? Most certainly. I mean, the, I mean, the likes of the killing of uh, the PSC commander, Sabel Obama. And I've been in contact with the, you know, with the family. The bottom line, Ashraf, based on my journey, 
if we as victims' families don't keep the legacy alive, don't conduct the investigations, these matters are not going to end, end reach fruition. And we've demonstrated this in the Timor matter. If, with the assistance of Yasmin Sukha and the Foundation for Human Rights, enlisting the support of Frank Dutton and Howard Vani, did not conduct our own investigations, did not track down Salim Isub, get his affidavit, the National Prosecution Authority would not have done this. It is as simple as that. Yeah. When we presented the case to the NPA Ashraf with SC George Bezos, we presented the case on Dr. Neil Agat. At the same time, I was present at that meeting. What has happened in the Neil Agat matter? I think with my own uh, analysis of it, it's purely because of public pressure. And the question that you've raised early, do families have the capacity and resources to keep the legacy of their and, loved ones in the public. And they don't. Generally, they don't. Absolutely. Jay, Jay, quick one from you. Hi, Jay. Yes, sir. Good evening to you and our guest. Thank you. Ashraf, I think it's very, very important that we, we are walked through to the past. Take us there and let us walk back to the present. So the only time we can come to this healing, because it's just not one sector of the community that was, uh, you know, went through this terrible thing. Uh, across the board, you could say across the board, many, many uh, members in the community, they went through this uh, kind of apartheid. But I, but I think we agree with that. It is across the board. In fact, it, precisely as Intias Kanji just demonstrated. Thanks for that call, uh, uh, Jay. A couple of SMSs. Some people saying, well, Ashraf, uh, interesting debate. Have it on the, in the morning as well. I can't decide on that in Tlango, but I mean, Maybe there's a podcast, okay, and you can share it with other people as well. Check it out uh, tomorrow morning. Your guest says 72 activists were killed in police custody. Uh, it's 72 too many, uh, but that's also only three ANC bombs set by his colleagues to kill innocent people. Okay, that's another point uh, that was made. The demigods have gotten away with it. They still do today, and they will forever. In any case, the laws that govern our land are laws crafted and imposed on us by their forefathers. So in conclusion, we will just keep going around in circles, simply because they're protected, comes from Mawa, from East London. Probably the most fascinating uh, comment is uh, from someone saying, I really wish you would widen out on your news. More than three meters of snow has fallen in parts of Europe in the last 48 hours, and not a word on the news. We are part of the planet. Don't isolate us. I don't know how to answer that question. There was a thunderstorm in Joburg two, three hours ago, but I'll just leave it at that. Final thoughts, 30 seconds? No, no, uh, Ashraf, we, we remain committed. Um, you can be rest assured that the Timor matter is not the only one. Um, we've got support from, you know, institutions like the Steve Biko Foundation, the Nelson Mandela Foundation, the Kathrada Foundation, and families throughout the length and breadth of this country. And with support from the Foundation for Human Rights, Legal Resources Center, Weber Wenzels, you can be rest assured that we will fight this matter all the way. And the Ahmed Timor matter is not the only matter that will be receiving priority. that's a very, very important point. Let's leave it at that. Thank you for your time. Uh, as always, Imtiaz Kaji, the, the nephew of uh, the late Ahmed Timor, and a, and a tale of tragedy and determination and a quest for justice that needs to be replicated across the country. It doesn't always work out that way, does it? We'll talk about uh, that big ANC event in Durban at the weekend in a moment. Let's get the news. It's 9 o'clock.